Thank you, choir, for two things. First, for sounding beautiful. I know that that takes, I mean, it takes work and practice and dedication to do that, so thank you for that. And also thank you, choir, for reminding us of this important truth that we know, but we need to be reminded of, that the Lord is our shepherd. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for reminding us of those great truths. And I wish you would have reminded me to pick up my Bible. <laughs> Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious Father, you are our shepherd. And through any valley and any depth, you are with us. And you are with us today. And you're with us in good and bad times. And you're with us not only now, but for eternity. And we ask, gracious Father, that you would speak your word to us today. A word filled with hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to make sense of Revelation 7, I'm going to back up to the very last verse of chapter 6. Because in the very last verse of chapter 6, we hear these words. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The great day of, the, of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Have you ever, and I pray that you've never had to experience this, but have you ever had someone come to your house and tell you, you need to sit down? I have something to say. You need to sit down because it's important. And really what they're saying is, I'm going to tell you something that's going to make your legs buckle. You're going to lose all strength, so you better sit down. When I was on, when I was during in seminary, I was a chaplain for a summer with the, working with the mentally ill. And I had to go to a home of this man, a gentleman who was about 35, who didn't take his medication for a while and committed suicide. His parents were um, Roman Catholic, and I had to show up with the director, go into the house, and we had to say, would you please sit down? There we had to pronounce a terrible word to them, a word that just shook them to their very core, a word that devastated them. I think that the end of chapter 6, when it says, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand, it's that kind of language of, there's been so much trouble and so much persecution and so much conflict among the people that they can't even stand. And so they're asking, can anyone stand? There is no strength in their legs whatsoever. And if you look at, at Revelation chapter 6, you can see why. And I'm going to help you to look at Revelation 6. I'm going to ask you to turn, pick up your bulletins and look at the very back of that woodcut by Albert Durer. And I want you to look at this woodcut. And I want you to look at the four horsemen. And I want you to look at the far right horsemen the right-hand corner towards the top. And the first horseman, what does he have in his hand? The bow and arrow. Okay. Now keep looking at that as I read these words from Revelation 6, verse 2. 
I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, if you are, the, let me say this. If you were reading Revelation for the first time, you would probably be the seven churches or the seven churches of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Okay, you're there. When you hear about a rider on a horse with a bow, you can't help but think of one people, the Parthians. These are the people that Rome tried to conquer, which was just east of Asia Minor. Rome tried to conquer this people three times and failed. Rome tried to conquer in 53 B.C., they tried to conquer in 36 B.C., and they tried to conquer them in 62 A.D. Three times, Rome, that great military, that great army that you've seen the movies of Cleopatra, you've read the stories, and you know about Julius Caesar, this great army that, that leveled Jerusalem, could not defeat the Parthians. Even more, the Parthians were famous for riding horses with their bow and arrows. So when the people are hearing these words, and these words aren't just written for some future, these are written for Christians. These are people who understand what's happening, and what's happening is they understand that vision that these are, this is to represent external threat. It's the people that Rome can't conquer. It's that nation to the east. Second, keep looking, because the second horseman, what does he carry? The sword, verses 3 through four and 4. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. To take peace from the world. Rome, what are they famous for? The Pax Romana. The sword, right? It's the, it's the peace that they bring, the peace that the government can offer. Except when a government has a sword, and to keep peace, what do they have to do sometimes? They have to use it against their own people. The second horse represents internal conflict, internal strife. It's, it's don't trust the government kind of sword. At the first service, everyone kind of laughed at that. I don't know about the second. You guys might be less... Uh, less uh, you more trusting. The third horse, and what does he have in his hand? Scale. Listen to verses 5 and 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The third scale, or the third horseman's carrying the scale, which is economics. And here's a case where they're living in a time when you'd work a full day's work and you couldn't even feed your family. It's a time when, when everything's messed up. You can't make sense of it. You work as hard as you can, you can't barely survive. The third horseman then represents when the economy goes bad. It represents when Wall Street plunges. It says, do not trust Wall Street. Do not trust economics. And yet then there's a fourth horse. 
And he doesn't, this one, you see the horseman and you see what he's riding on? And that's the pale horse that's, that's death. And then do you see on the very far left corner in the very bottom? Do you see the little dragon that's eating the person? That's Hades. Okay, so listen to these words. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. In other words, when you're reading these words, these words are testing you as to what you believe in, what you put your faith in. Do you put your faith in the army to protect you? Shame on you. Think of the Parthians. Do you put your faith in the government to make everything wonderful? Better watch out, they have a sword. Do you put your faith in Wall Street? Or the chairman, you know? In all these places, it's asking us and it's confronting us with where do you place your faith? Is your faith in the government, in the military, in the economy? If that is where your faith is, it will kill you because guess what? Death is following right behind it and you're going to die. I mean, this is the kind of language of Revelation 6. It's the kind of language of don't put your trust in Rome. Don't put your trust in a country. Don't put your trust in those things. Because all of those things will disappoint you. All of those things will fail. Behind it is death. And death's going to get you. That's Revelation 6. And no wonder with that kind of language, you have the people at the very end of the chapter saying, for the great day of wrath has come, and I don't have the legs. Who can stand? Who can stand? That's chapter 6. Now I want to picture, move you to the next chapter. Because this is our hope. The next chapter, chapter 7, it shifts to heaven. We're back up looking at heaven. We're looking at our future. We're looking at our life with God forever. Chapter 7, verse 9 says these words. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And what are they doing? Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 6 ends. Who can stand before God? The next vision, the vision of heaven. You see the multitude standing before God. And this is important because you see so many clues of good news in this. First of all, it's a multitude. It's not a few people who are standing before God. It's a multitude of every language and every tribe and every nation. It's a multitude of people. And why is this important? Because I'm convinced so many of us think that there's about five people who are going to be saved. Definitely not our neighbor down the street. Right? We, we think that heaven is only for this select few, tiny amounts. When in this vision, we have a multitude, a great multitude, so great a multitude, you can't even number it. Why? Because heaven is not a museum for saints. Heaven is a sanctuary, a house for sinners like you and me. 
a multitude standing before the throne of God. And why can they stand before the throne of God? What gives them the confidence, the group that couldn't stand when all the affliction was happening? Why could they stand before God in chapter 7? It's because they're wearing white robes. White robes that we hear in verse 14, little follower, follower, following down, farther down. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They can stand before God because they're wearing the right garments. They're covered with robes that are dipped in the blood of the Lamb, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why is this important? Go way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned. And after they sinned, what did they try to do? As they were exposed and being filled with sin, what did they do? They covered themselves up. They hid from God. They covered them up. They thought, if we put fig leaves on, then we'll be okay. Now, since then, we've been hiding ourselves, covering ourselves all the time. The sin we do, we try to keep it in secret, right? Because no one will see it. God won't see it. So we think, right? I mean, God sees it all. But here's the good news. These people can stand before Almighty God because they're covered, not with fig leaves, not with their good deeds, not with any of those things. They're covered by the white robe, the white robe that's washed in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they can stand before God because Christ covers them. And why is that important to us? We read in Galatians that when we have been baptized, we have put on Christ like a garment. We are covered with Christ. That means you are covered with Christ. It means you can stand before that great and glorious day before God because you're clothed, not in your good deeds, not in your right thoughts, not in in the denomination you belong to, but you're clothed because of Christ. And to that question, who can stand? You can say, I can, because of Christ. Furthermore, in this chapter, chapter 7, They're standing before God, the great multitude, covered with white robes, and then what do they have in their hand? Palm branches. When were palm branches ever mentioned in the Bible? Palm Sunday, right? He's coming in, and the multitude gathers, and they're waving Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And who are they referring to? Jesus! And that's what the multitude's doing on that great day in that throne. They're holding up the palm branch and they're waving it to Jesus. They're confident because they know that it's Jesus who's at the center, Jesus who's the lamb, Jesus who covers them. That's why they can stand. Oh, what good and glorious news. And yet there's still more because they're not only standing, waving a palm branch, but they're singing. And what are they singing? They're singing the words... Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where it gets really fun. That Lamb we know is Jesus. And here's the neat word in here. I think it's, a, it's such a good word. Jesus is the Lamb who is conquered so that he might conquer. Jesus is the Lamb who experiences all the worst of chapter 6 upon himself. External threat. Jesus was crucified. The Lamb of God was crucified on a cross by a Roman government. Internal conflict. His own cried, crucify, crucify. What about economics? Did that have anything to play in it? Judas betrayed Jesus 
for 30 pieces of silver. And then he was put into the tomb. Death swallowed him up. Death thought he won. Jesus experienced the full wrath of chapter 6, the full wrath of sin, death, and the devil, the full wrath of rejection, of external threat, internal conflict. He experienced it all. He didn't shy away. He didn't move around it. He experienced it all. But what happened on that third day? He rose. He stood victorious. He conquered. He was victorious. How can we stand when the world's falling apart? We can stand not because God's going to take us away from it, but that we are united to Christ and He's going to take us right through it. Right through death into eternity. Whereas that hymn says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Or the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says these words. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand. I mean, okay, the secret stand here, right? In which you stand, in which you live. How can you stand before God? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. You're covered with him. You praise him. He's the lamb in the middle. That's why in this meal, we take a foretaste of it, a feast to come, of which is that great feast where we're with the lamb, praising the lamb. That's what this is all about. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, your sin and mine. And so to that great question, who can stand? The answer is you can. You can. Who can stand when the nations wage war against you? You can. Who can stand when there is internal strife? You can. Who can stand when there are economic problems? You can. Who can stand in the face of death? You can. You stand because you are clothed with Christ. You stand because you have a branch in your hand. You stand with a song on your lips, knowing that God is with you. He will give you living water. You will never hunger and thirst. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. You stand because you're covered with Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.